We're in for a great treat now. We're going to have uh, Pastor Paul Nyamuda come and bless us with a word of encouragement. Pastor Paul is known uh, widely as an expert in leadership and emotional intelligence. Paul is an organizational psychologist who has researched extensively on the subject of leadership, development, and personal success. His passion is in unlocking greatness in individuals, in teams, in organizations, and since 2000, his work has focused on executive coaching, on leadership development from CEO level to middle, man middle management. Blue chip companies, leading banks, NPOs, government departments, churches, large multinationals have benefited from his distinct brand of humor, intensity, and intellectual insights. Paul has spoken on leadership and related issues in South Africa, in Swaziland, in Zimbabwe, in Mozambique, in Zambia, in the DRC, in Kenya, Nigeria, Egypt, UK, USA. I see China's crossed off here. <laughs> Why is Couple with this, Paul has authored 35 books on leadership and related topics. You can go to Amazon.com, you'll find his books there. Also outside, uh, there are some amazing offerings there from Paul. Some books there like Make Your Marriage Work, that's awesome. Business God's Way, and these wonderful little cards, verses to pray over your wife, and verses to pray over your husband, and then this amazing one, the SIM cards, S-I-M, Sexy Marriage Cards, guys. Yeah, for the one-year-olds and for the seven-year-olds. The rest of us don't need them. And you don't have any cash? There are card machines out there, so you can go and you can swipe. There's some wonderful materials there, right? Um, he has also spoken on national radio and, and on TV on leadership issues. Also, also hosts a retreats on and marriage breakfast and saving our marriage on SABC3. Yeah. Paul is happily married to Tracy, who is here tonight. There's Tracy, round applause. <laughs> And they are, they've been blessed with three handsome boys, Samuel, Jaden, and Daniel. And since 2000, they have planted a number of churches and currently serve as the senior pastors of Go Christian Church in Centurion. For more information and resources on, on Pastor Paul Nyamura, you can visit paulnyamura.com or marriagecoach.coza. Season two of Saving Our Marriage starts in April this year. Right? So what a blessing to have Pastor Paul come up and just bless us. Let's give him a good job, bless you, welcome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Cohen. Really appreciate you guys. Wasn't the singing wonderful? Wow. Come on, give them a round of applause. In fact, when I was testing my microphone earlier on, I came here and I, w I met this wonderful uh, person, Nathaniel. I didn't know he could also sing. You know, I thought he was just a keyboard guy. And um, we were testing the mic, and I thought I just had to talk. But then he says to me, so what key do you want it in? And I thought, you know, the pressure was on now. I was going to just say, give me an F, you know, type of thing. Um, 
but it's such a privilege, such an honor. In fact, I ended up saying to him, I know you're saying that because I talk like Michael Jackson, okay? <laughs> Fortunately, the talking voice hasn't translated to the singing voice, okay? Um, so I'm gonna share with you very quickly on what I call marriage shift. I'm calling it marriage shift. And I wanna give you about four or five things that will shift your marriage. If your marriage is bad, if it's in a bad place, it will take it from bad to average. If it's in an average place, it will take it from average to good. If it's in a good place, it will take it from good to great. Is that okay? And if you do these four things, or five, depending on time, we'll see. I don't have the spirit of summary, okay? So that's why I'm just covering all my bases, okay? <laughs> Maybe it'll just be three, you know? I wanna honor time. But uh, I want to share these with you, and I'm going to use an acronym. And the acronym is very easy because it's my name, okay? You'll see as it develops, all right? So the P, the P, we're talking about marriage shifts. And I've spent hours and hours counseling lots of couples, some in terrible marriages, some on the brink of divorce, and I've seen certain patterns. And the first one starts with a P, and that's to do with power. If you want to shift your marriage and take it from good to great, you have to take your power back. You have to take your power back. There's nothing wrong with power. Power is A's ability to make B do something B would otherwise not have done. And one of the things powerful people do is they say, this is who I am. This is who I want to be. And they live that out regardless of the circumstances. What do I mean when I say take your power back? I'm not exaggerating. For the last 12 years or so, if people say to me, Paul, how is life treating you? Consistently, my response is, I'm treating it well, thank you. That's powerful. I'm treating it well, thank you. In 2010, it was 10 years ago, hey? 10 years ago. In 2010, we moved from four ways to Centurion, and people say to me, Paul, how's Centurion treating you? I'm treating it well, thank you. <laughs> 17 years ago, got married. People say to me, Paul, how is married life treating you? I'm treating it well, thank you. You know why I say that? I say that because the influence and impact I have on the world around me is bigger than it has on me. Wow. And you know, a scripture a lot of people like is greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's not just for casting out demons. That's a powerful statement basically saying the influence and impact I have on the world around me is greater than it has on me. And one of the key tools or practices that shifts a marriage is where you take your power back so you never use phrases like she just drives me up the wall or he just how many of you have said that in the last six months she just drives me up the wall hands please <laughs> maybe i'll get more hands if i ask it this way he just drives me up the wall okay let me ask you a question does he physically place you on top of his bonnet and drive you up the wall no, he doesn't. You end up up the wall because you are in reaction mode. You are reacting, not responding. Powerful people have a different mindset. I can be sitting in traffic, sitting in traffic, late for a client. I'm stuck on the highway. I've already said to myself, I'm a joyful person. I'm not going to allow the traffic to rob me of my joy. I'm not going to give it power over my mood. But how do most people live? The moment you get into that open plan situation at work, what do you do? People are asking, what mood is the boss in today? What mood is the boss in today? 
And if he's in a bad mood, or if she's in a bad mood, that's often worse. If she's in a bad mood, <laughs> sorry, bad joke, right? What happens? You spend your whole day treading on eggshells. So for our marriages, it's time to take our power back and to say, you know what? I'm choosing my emotional state. That's what athletes do. That's what athletes do. They, they, it's, called, it's called emotional conditioning. I'm choosing my emotional state. I'm a powerful person. I'm choosing how I'm going to be. And when we have this mindset of power, we recognize that as human beings, we are social architects. There are many leaders in this room. As a leader, you're a social architect. A wonderful architect designed this wonderful building. But as a leader in your marriage, in your family, in your home, you're a social architect. In other words, you create climate. When I go home, my mood will create the climate at home. And the reason why a lot of us do not create healthy climates is because we're very good at preparing to go to work, but few of us are good at preparing to go back home afterwards. You know what I'm talking about, right? When I get onto the highway, I have to start putting my dad cap on. I have to start putting my husband cap on because I'm playing different roles. So powerful people do that. They know that I'm operating in different contexts, so I wear different hats and I choose how I'm going to be. I'm not going to live in reaction anymore. And the reason why we don't create positive, healthy climate is that very often we give our best to our clients. Let's be honest. We give our best to our customers. We dress nicely for them. We talk nicely. We give them our best intellectually, our best emotionally. And the people who we say are our loved ones, who we care about the most, if we're honest with ourselves, often they get the leftovers. One of the big things I deal with when I'm counseling couples is wives or husbands who feel like they don't come first. You hear them saying, big complaint, you know what, when I want my hubby to do something, he procrastinates. But when his mom wants him to do something or his siblings, he drops everything and he does it for them. Okay. We have to take our power back. You know, sometimes you'll see someone who's very, who's very principled and very proper. And they come home and they give their ch children so many principles. And they're wondering, why are my children acting out like this? And you know what I say to them? They're just absorbing you. Someone once said, consciously I teach what I know. Unconsciously I pass on who I am. A lot of us here in this room, we're very intellectual. We've got lots of knowledge in our industries, in our different professions. But if the stuff on the inside isn't fully sorted out, what tends to happen is you just pass on who you are. Powerful people are watchful over what they're passing on. A few days ago, I was struggling with some sinus stuff. Sometimes after I've run, I'll have this sinus stuff going on. And I was a bit irritable. And I was speaking in a certain way. And my wonderful wife... Um, said to me, my love, I don't know if you know how you're coming across. I think you should be watchful. She's also a prophet, so, you know, she can also, I think you should be watchful, especially because we're about to go to a prayer meeting, all right? And you know what? She was right. She was right. So powerful people have what we call emotional containment. We can be feeling a certain way, but we know how to contain it for a purpose. I want to encourage you to say something right now to the person next to you who hopefully is your spouse. I don't know, unless, you know, unless people have been mixing here. <laughs> they go to these events and then they're now on other tables. Anyway, 
Um, I'd like you to say to them, look them in the face and say, I am powerful. <laughs> Do you know why a number of you were laughing? Because you're not comfortable with power. Because you associate power with abuse of power or you associate power with arrogance. You see, if I say to you, we didn't have power at home last night, if you're a kind, caring, reasonable human being, you'll feel for me, right? So we're fine with power when we're talking about ESCOM. We want power. But when we're talking about being a powerful human being, we shy away from it. There's nothing wrong with power. So say it again this time. Say, I'm powerful, but say it with conviction. One of the things about powerful people, they're very conscious about what they let into their ear gates and what they let into their eye gates. You know, we talk about the power of agreement, and we've seen it happening in our marriage. The power of agreement, the power of unity. There are times when my wife and I would not have even prayed about a particular thing. We just agree about it. We just say, my love, wouldn't that be so nice? Yes, it would be so nice. And somehow there's something accelerated and literally within hours we see that thing taking place. But you see, often when we teach about agreement, we teach about it in the positive. Based on the scripture, if two or three agree in my name on a particular thing, it will be done. But how many of you know that it's also powerful in reverse when you agree with the enemy? And a lot of us, we've got that as a bad habit. We agree with the enemy, the accuser of the brethren. That's one of the terms for, for the enemy, the devil. We agree with him concerning what he whispers to us concerning our spouse because we are passive and not powerful. You see, a powerful person is able to say, uh, -uh this isn't my own thought. I remember years ago what would happen is I would be in my car throughout the day. I would have had wonderful thoughts about Trace, wonderful, pleasant thoughts. And now I'm on my way home. And five minutes before I get home, all of a sudden, these critical thoughts start rising up in me. I don't know if any of you are feeling me on this. Have I got any empathy here in the room, right? All of a sudden, there are these critical thoughts. Why did she say that? Why didn't she ask me a follow-through question on this? Why didn't she? And then I'm finding myself getting tense just as I'm about to get home. But I now know, because I've seen it as a pattern, and I'm powerful. And I look at those thoughts and I realize they're not mine. Because the moment I agree with those thoughts, there's a power that's released, but a negative power to destroy my marriage. Does that make sense? All right? So that's the first P. What's the first P? What's the first P? The second P starts with an A. Is appreciation. If you want to shift your marriage from good to great, over-appreciate your spouse. There's some research that was carried out on couples that were the happiest. And guess what they found? They found that when the, when the individuals in the marriage will self-assess, and then their spouse would assess them, the spouse's rating of them was always higher than their self-rating. They won't get that. So in other words, if Trace out of 10 gives herself for kindness... Seven out of ten. I'll be giving her eight out of ten. In other words, I think she's better than she is. Does that make sense? I think she's better than she thinks she is. You're heading for disaster if you're in a situation where you think you're also amazing. And your spouse is like, eh, actually. <laughs> okay? 
And that's what we call a blind spot. A blind spot is actually a negative blind spot where you think you're really great, but the rest of the world is saying, girl, you ain't all that. Okay? <laughs> a positive blind spot is what ha happy marriages have, where you think you're average, but your spouse thinks you're also amazing. And you know how that happens? You get what you give attention to. So if I'm only focusing and meditating on the wonderful things about Trace continuously through appreciation, that's what I will notice and that's how I'll rate her. And it's a choice, isn't it? Because we can all focus on the negative aspects of our spouse. So it's actually a choice we have. And I've seen that the spouses, the marriages that are full of appreciation, they go to another level. If you come to our house and you, and you just record us, Throughout the day, you'll be shocked the number of times we're always saying to each other, thank you, my love. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. But can I go a little bit deeper? What you think about and what you thank about is what you eventually bring about. What you think about and what you thank about is what you eventually bring about. You get what you appreciate. It's actually been found that people become how they are seen by authority figures whom they respect and admire after five years. Can I say it again? People become how they are seen by authority figures whom they respect and admire after five years. They become how they're seen by them. And it's the same in marriage because your spouse should be your hero. When we do premarital counseling, key question, is, is this person who you are considering are they your hero? A hero, by definition, is someone you both admire and adore. And you see these ladies, they're like, he's, he's just so adorable. Do you admire him spiritually? But, but Pastor, he's so adorable. He's so cute. He's not your hero. Is everyone following? Right? And so their view of you, their view of you, you end up living up to that particular expectation. But it's reinforced through appreciation. Everyone following? Right. Now, how do you appreciate? Many people think you appreciate just by saying thank you. Appreciation is way more than saying thank you. Three areas of appreciation. You appreciate someone, number one, because of their personality. Their personality. So there was a time when we had a function at home. And my wife was hosting it. I think I had been at another meeting. I arrived home quite late in the middle of the function. And she said to me, my love, I am so happy you are here. You're bringing your sunshine yellow personality. And it takes the pressure off me. I was appreciated before I'd done anything. I was appreciated for my personality. Secondly, you appreciate your spouse because of their ability. Their ability. Ever have it where you say, you know what, it's great having you in that meeting because you just bring order. You're appreciating them for their ability. Thirdly, you appreciate your spouse because of what they do. What they do. And many of us are good at doing that. But what I encourage you to do with your spouse is you appreciate three times for what they do. So in other words, very often if my wife serves us, when I get the food, I say, thanks my love. This looks great. While I'm eating the food, ooh, it tastes great. Some of you are thinking, can we say that by faith? All right? <laughs> then you say, you, you, you say, it tastes great. It really tastes great. Right? And then after I've eaten and I'm full, I'll say, thank you so much. You can never thank your spouse enough. 
And what tends to happen is we've got this mindset of he's playing his role, she's playing her role. And so we don't thank each other because we feel like it all cancels out. People leave jobs. Why? They don't feel appreciated. People are leaving marriages today. Why? They feel taken for granted. The antidote for that is the art of appreciation. Can I go a little bit deeper with appreciation? There are two things you add each time you appreciate someone for what they do. Each time you appreciate your spouse for what they do, two things you add. Number one, you acknowledge the benefit of what they've done, the benefit to you. So I might say, my love, thank you so much for taking the kids to your folks today. It really gave me space to watch my soccer in peace. <laughs> no, because sometimes the dynamic in our household is I'm trying to listen to the commentator, so I learn more about the game, and I've got lots of high testosterone kids, and they might be complaining about this guy who's missed the ball, etc. Okay, so I might say something like that to her. I'm acknowledging how I benefited from what she did. Does that make sense? The second thing you add to your appreciation is you acknowledge the sacrifice. You acknowledge the sacrifice made. Have you ever had it when someone thanks you? And so officially they've ticked the box. They say thank you. But you've done this amazing thing that required lots of sacrifice. But they thanked you like you had just given them a chewing gum. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. So I might say thank you so much for taking the kids to your folks today. Because I know you actually had a late night and you were actually physically exhausted. But thanks for still doing it. My wife loves it when I go running with her. And she's been saying, come, join us at the running club. Come to track. Come to track. Because I'm more of a lone runner. She's more of a social runner. She's a strong triathlete and everything. And those, these guys are like machines and stuff. And I've been like, mm, let me just do my thing on my pads, on my own, on my lonesome. You know? But I decided to end up going with her. And one of the things she showed appreciation for wasn't just Paul came with me. She acknowledged the benefit. She said it was so nice just being seen with you there and just being with you there. She acknowledged the benefit, but she was also aware of the sacrifice because she knows I'm not usually a group person when it comes to that. Does that make sense? So what's P? What's A? Okay. What you think about and what you think about is what you eventually bring about. You is an interesting one. The you. It's basically this. Unlock the power of habits. So there's what I call marriage habits. And the mistake a lot of people make is they never live beyond good intentions because they just focus on goals and intentions, but they never develop habits. But when you study the brain, you realize that the section of your brain where you have habits automatic behavior is almost separate from the part of your brain where you have goals and intentions. And this is so powerful when we get this. That's why a lot of us in our marriages, we've got so many goals, so many intentions. But because of bad marriage habits, nothing ever happens. Now, how long does it take to form a habit? I want to help you this evening to form powerful marriage habits. How long does it take to form a habit? Okay, so, eh, wrong answer, right? So that's actually a myth. Let me tell you the quick story behind that. A lot of people say 21 days to form a habit, okay? And that's because in, 19, in the 1950s, there was um, a guy called uh, Dr. Maxwell uh, Maltz, something like that, right? And this guy was a plastic, plastic surgeon, 
And when he would give women, or men, I guess, um, nose jobs, right? People are thinking like, oh, back in the 50s, they have nose jobs, yeah, right? So when he would give them nose jobs, what he found was that it took people about 21 days to get used to their new face. When people would get amputated, they would have this phantom leg. You know, that, that, I'm sure you've heard about it, right? Where they'll be imagining that they've actually got a leg, but they haven't got one anymore. And usually it will take them about 21 days before they um, started fully feeling or having a mental image of their new state. Everyone following? Right? Then he started doing experiments on himself, and he saw that with his habits, it took about a minimum of 21 days. Then he wrote a book on it, but people forgot that he said minimum of 21 days, right? Then they started conducting scientific research around this, and they said to a group of 96 people, they got them to form new habits. Some were complicated, some were simple. Some were simple like just drinking water during a meal. Others involved running 15 minutes per day. And they got them to do that, and they actually found that on average it took 66 days. For some people it was the two months, for other people, it was eight months. And when you want to enhance the habits that you form, they're enhanced by doing a number of things. Routine. Another one is same context. Just doing the thing in the same context. Another one is the reward associated with the habit. Great marriages have great habits. So let me give an example in my marriage of some of the habits I have. One of the habits I have is that when I'm sitting and watching soccer, or watching a movie on the couch, my wife scores a back rub for 90 minutes. Okay? It started off as one of those things where I want to watch soccer, I don't want to neglect my wife. Hey, my love, come, I'll give you a back rub. She's a strong swimmer, just done mid-mar, but did the charity event where she did, you know, eight miles all together. That's 13 Ks of swimming, okay? So from time to time, she might be like, oh, my shoulder, oh. But it's literally become a habit, but it's been reinforced by the context. So when we're on the couch together and we're watching something, even if I'm feeling tired, it's become an instinctive automated thing where I'm like, my love, what do you need me to do? And she'll be just like, oh, my thighs, oh, my calves. Sometimes we're watching a soccer game, oh, my back. And I'm like, oh, Rashford missed again. Rashford, Rashford missed, Rashford, Rashford missed. It's not wife beating, okay? She likes it like, oh, tough. Oh, oh. You obviously know which team I support now, all right? I often don't say it. I don't want to alienate myself from my audience. But anyway, so, so that's an example of a marriage habit. And you can come up with very specific marriage habits that deal with specific things in your marriage. You could say, what habit do I want to form? What habit do I want to form that will make my spouse feel more secure? What habit do I want to form that will reignite the spark in our marriage? One of the habits in our marriage, for example, is I will always say goodnight to her with a kiss. Okay, that's a habit. So even if I'm busy and I'm working downstairs, working on something, she will come to me and say, I'm going to bed now. I'll stop what I'm doing and I literally tuck her in. You know how like kids get tucked into bed and so on? And I'll literally, and she sleeps on her back, all right? I, for me, that's tricky because I feel like maybe I'll be choked or something. But anyway, she sleeps on her back. That's how she sleeps. And it's so wonderful. 
every night coming and just seeing this big smile on her face when I'm saying, my love, have a well-deserved rest. And I give her a kiss. Even if we've had an argument before. It's a habit. But it's a habit that breeds security in the marriage. Everyone following? Another habit that I have that helps her to know that she comes first in my life is that if there's any good thing that has happened, maybe it's a breakthrough business-wise, she has to be the first one to know. So I might be speaking to some people who might be more excited about that thing, but I actually say to them, you know what, guys? I can't tell you about it. I have to tell my wife first. And then I remind her that I'm honoring her that way. And I literally say, my love, I could have told so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, but I just wanted you to be the one who knows first. So, therefore, and then I tell her, all right? That's a marriage habit. Another marriage habit that I have that's to do with integrity, right, in terms of the eyes, it's called bouncing. It's a term called bouncing. So, the first look is fine. If you see an attractive female and the person like comes high and so on, you can't help seeing the person. But there's no second look. My wife will never see me while we're having lunch or something like that, see me looking like this. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? It's called bouncing. You look at the person once, you notice them, of course, you can't avoid it, but you don't ever look back again. It's having a covenant with your eyes. That's a habit. That's a habit. So a habit is something that you pre-decide to do. You pre-decide to do this particular thing, even when you then don't feel like it, you follow through with the behavior because you've pre-decided. That's what discipline is. Discipline is doing what you've pre-decided is best for you to do despite your emotional state. That's what discipline is. And, and that's the art of forming a habit. So you do that consistently until you come to a place where it's almost automatic. Marriage habits. I want to encourage you, as you go from this place for homework, just think of one habit, one marriage habit, and ask yourself, what is it going to produce? What's the goal of that particular habit? What is it going to produce in my marriage? And I want to encourage you to do it for six months. Not 21 days. Do it for six months on a daily basis, and you will see it will become an automatic thing that you do. Those of you who are runners, how many runners do we have in the room? You know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking about. When you started out running, you are focused on your goals and how you want to achieve. and how you... What happens now? You feel funny when you haven't run. You feel like, oh, there's something wrong. Oh, I haven't... Because it's become a habit. So P is power. A is? U is? Unlocking the power of, of habits. The L is love bids. Love bids. Love bids. The happiest marriages in the world, couples are continuously making love bids. Bid as in B-I-D. In other words, offering love to each other. But the love bids are actually accepted and received. You see, when your spouse offers you a love bid, you can either turn away from it. So if I say, my love, come and see, come and see this clip. I know you like it a lot. If she ignores me, she's turning away from it. Or you can turn against it. 
She can say, can't you see I'm busy in the kitchen? Why don't you just get up and help? I'm tired of your stupid clips. Now, she wouldn't say that, but that's turning against a love bid. Or you can turn toward it. And what I've seen in a lot of marriages is love bids are being made, but your spouse is not conscious of the fact that it's been made. Research was actually carried out on people who had come from backgrounds of trauma, backgrounds uh, of abuse. And they actually researched and they saw that when their spouse is showing them love bids, 50% of the time they don't even notice it. So then they come out and they say, you don't love me, you never do this, you never do that. But he's doing all sorts of things or she's doing all sorts of things, but you don't notice it because you don't see the world as it is, you see the world as you are. That's why a lady can walk through that door who's been abused, battered, bruised, come through the door, and I could say, hey, we're going to do a little game, a little exercise. I'd like you to just uh, work very closely with Simba over here. And she might say, no, 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 uh, give me Megan, give me Megan. What's wrong with Simba? He's a nice guy. He's a gentleman. No, all men are dogs, Paul. All men are dogs. Question, are all men dogs? Okay, some of you are doubting. Some of you are thinking, Paul, it just depends what type of dog. Some are huskies. <laughs> Some are chihuahuas. Okay, not all men are dogs. But why does she say that? She says that because of her experiences, not so. So we see that happening in a lot of marriages. So a key question I want to ask you, are you able to WhatsApp this weekend, WhatsApp your spouse a list of 20 love bids that they've made before that you really appreciate, okay, and others that they've not made towards you? And you WhatsApp those 20 to them. And then they make a decision and they say, you know what? I'm making a commitment to translate these love bids into habits, into marriage habits. They might say, you know what? I love it when you make me coffee in the morning. I'm translating it into a habit. I love it when you give me a foot rub. I'm translating it into a habit. And what I do with couples is I basically say to them, you know what? Just make a commitment. Choose maybe the top three that have jumped out at you and just make sure you do them consistently every day. Watch what happens to the marriage. It goes to another level. It goes to another level. So what's the L? And what do we have to make sure we do with love bids? We turn toward them. As opposed to turning against them or turning away from them. Does that make sense? Then finally, so that was Paul. We've done Paul. And then N. <laughs> N is the last one. Sorry, my name was just the easiest to use in this, right? Needs. Needs. One of the patterns I've seen in a lot of marriages is that a lot of times people have deep needs in their marriage and these needs are not being met. And so what they do is they protest. They protest. So you'll see someone there and they're always criticizing their husband. They're saying, you always come home late and you always do this. Okay? China was crossed out. Okay, anyway. You're always doing this. But if she could make herself vulnerable because she feels safe in her marriage, what she would really be saying is, honey, I miss you. That's the real need. Honey, I miss you. Honey, I wish we could just have more couch time together without the kids, just me and you. I feel like we've been like two ships passing each other by. We're acting like a divorced couple. We're acting like a divorced couple where they just talk about the kids and they just talk admin. 
By the responses, I can see that I'm scratching where it's itching. All right? So what you do is you make yourself vulnerable. Why? Why? If you study the science of likability, people are more likely to like you, including your spouse, when you can make yourself vulnerable. And when you make yourself vulnerable, it's so, so powerful because you cannot have emotional intimacy with another human being without some degree of vulnerability. I'll say it again. You cannot have emotional intimacy with another human being without some degree of vulnerability. And so instead of pointing fingers saying, you did this wrong, you didn't meet my need here, 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 and here, what do you do? You catch them when they're doing the right thing. You catch them when, you do, when they're doing the right thing. You see, what happened is some years ago, I was challenging guys at Marion Roberts. We all know Marion Roberts, right? I was challenging them. It's now Concord, but Marion Roberts at the time. And I said to them, you engineers, you're just like auditors. No offense, those of you who are engineers or auditors. You've been trained to spot the blips. So it makes you a good engineer and it makes you a good auditor. But here's the problem. When you're managing people, you do what we call management by exception. You only speak to them when there's a problem. And you know what? This happens in marriage a lot. And so I challenged them and I said, I want you to start a new management practice. I would like you, when you're preparing to go to work, say to yourself, today I want to catch someone doing the right thing. And when you see them doing the right thing, I would like you to celebrate it. Because we all know that people will gravitate to where they're celebrated, not where they're tolerated. It's the same in marriage. So you conduct the needs conversation. And this is how the needs conversation goes. I will say to my wife, my love, a need I have in our marriage is the need to feel admired by my wife. So I'm stating the need. Right? And then the next thing I say is, when you quote me when you're preaching, that need is met. When you update your parents on some of my achievements, that need is met. When you seek my advice concerning an important matter, that need is met. Do you know what she'll end up doing? She'll end up replicating the behavior. Why? Why? Because she's seeing what her husband celebrates. As opposed to me just coming to her and saying, why didn't you say this? Why didn't you ask me for this? Why didn't you ask me? The greatest marriages out there, couples express their needs to each other. They make themselves vulnerable. They communicate what their needs are. That's Paul in. Okay. I don't feel like stopping, but I need to stop. I'm out of time. Thank you so much. Go and do this. Pastor Paul, why don't we just show our appreciation for Pastor Paul? Thank you so much. How amazing is that? What a blessing to the body of Christ. You are really blessed. Amen. And we have a small show of appreciation for what you've come and done this evening. We'd like to call up Tracy as well. Please come, Pastor Tracy. like you to present oh, you with a small gift of Thank appreciation. So Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That was so awesome. Maurice?